Hey, everybody. Welcome to Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hello. Today on the show, we're going to talk about The Way Down, the documentary series from HBO Max. So we'll be talking about that a little bit later, a little true crime, culty documentarian shenanigans. But first, I think you read about this, but did you see that they are making a violent new horror film, which is a reworking of the childhood classic Winnie the Pooh, Blood I and did. Honey. <laughs> and I have, an, I have a problem when kids stuff yeah. is corrupted either sexually <laughs> or violently, mm-hmm. especially because Winnie is just so flipping precious that yeah. I have mixed feelings about this. Yeah, I think we all have to just keep our center around it. In other words, both can exist. <laughs> both the original Winnie the Pooh mm-hmm. And we can allow people to make it bad. The mysterious upcoming horror film, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, has appeared in, it's apparently, it's an indie horror title, so there's that. And it's also in post-production, writer-director Reese Frake Waterfield. And it stars Daniel Scott, Maria Taylor, Amber Thorne, not sure how to pronounce that. But it's a grisly retelling of the Winnie Pooh, Winnie the Pooh legend. Mm-hmm. And some of the pictures are like, it looks like a like a slasher dude with a Winnie the Pooh head on it. So <laughs> I, I saw it. I don't know. I don't know how that's going to go. I mean. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, yeah. I mean, sure. I'm open. <laughs> yeah. God. I mean, we watch all the things, but. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's got a very kind of your next energy, you know that yeah. movie your next. Yeah, it, yes, it seems mm-hmm. to you know barnyard okay. animal masks and okay stuff like that. Yeah, maybe it just turns into a fetish film. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, there's like a hot girl in a hot tub with Winnie the Pooh. It seems like all the girls are you know drenched in water at some point. You know, yeah. So I don't know. That's, it's maybe fun. It might be like a. We'll see. It might be so silly and fun that it could never corrupt the actual yeah, Winnie the Pooh. It, it probably it is. Tried. They were only on a lot of drugs when they made this movie. <laughs> maybe. I mean, A. Milne might have been on a lot of drugs when he wrote Winnie the Pooh. No idea. <clears throat> Very true. Yeah. Very true. <laughs> uh, we're coming upon Pride Month, and I recently wrote an article on queer horror for the website and just trying to do some more research around what is out there regarding queer horror. We, we know that there's a history of folks who have studied horror and studied underlying themes that are, that represent potential queer tropes. It's just, it's, they're very, it's very disguised because of the time. Um, there's a book out there called Monsters in the Closet. I also watched a really good documentary called Society and Queer Horror, um, which is where I got a lot of my information for the article that I wrote. So, But now that it's 2022, we're able to do a lot of these films without the metaphorical use of things and we can actually be literal and there's a movie i'm really excited to see that was filmed last year in 2021 it's an indie film called so vam and it's a landmark movie in many ways because it represents the directorial debut of a trans filmmaker alice mayo mckay i'm hoping i'm saying their name right i'm not sure um who was only 16 years old at the time of filming um, so aside from directing, McKay also produces Sovam and co-writes it alongside Benjamin Paul Robinson after image, from After Images. So the premise of the film, a young outcast in a conservative town dreams of moving to the city to become a famous drag queen, but his plans are derailed when he is kidnapped. Um, so I'm excited, you know, just to bring, this is a whole other area of horror that really hasn't been developed. And now it's, it's, no pun intended, it's out there. And I, I believe that this will be, we will be able to screen this in June. So nice. I'm going to watch it and then give some reviews on it. Nice. I know that. So for those of you who want to go into this and learn for yourselves, there's, you know, every month Shutter, the streaming service, the horror streaming service has an upload of a themed, mu- you know, a themed bunch of movies. So 
One time it's Giallo. One time it's a you know a particular actor or a particular horror film director. And for June, in honor of of this of June of this month, there the queer horror selection has mm-hmm. been bumped up. Now I would say that Shutter has a pretty a pretty good queer horror library already, and mm-hmm. so they're adding a bunch of stuff. Cool. And then I would just say there's also you know they've been doing a lot of horror documentaries mm-hmm. on Shutter, and there's mm-hmm. Queer for Fear, the history of queer horror. That's a limited series. That's also the I'm one sorry. that I watched, uh, Society and Queer Horror, you can find that on YouTube, by the way, if oh, people are interested. Yes. Nice. Yeah, and you don't have to have Shudder for that. He has a really great, just intellectualized and articulate way of going through some of the characters, uh, like from Alien, from The Crafts, from Carrie. I mentioned some of these in the article. Um, so if you're interested, watch it. It's yeah. like an hour and a half long. Yeah, and check out Kathy's article on our website, too, if you want to hear a little bit more from her on that. In not-so-smart news, (laughs) Lionsgate is taking new pitches on the Cube remake. Oh. So one of the coolest indie films of the late 1990s was a brutal sci-fi horror called Cube in which six strangers are involuntarily placed in an endless maze containing deadly traps. That sounds very scary. Acquired and released by Lionsgate, the low-budget, high-concept horror was a home video hit and spawned two sequels. I am reading this off of Bloody Disgusting, by the way. Cube, Hypercube from 2002, and Cube Zero from 2004, not to mention this year's, this year meaning 2022, there is a Japanese remake. So speaking of remakes, Lionsgate has been developing a modern take on the film titled Cubed, with a D. Okay. With Prometheus screenwriter and up-and-comer and another up-and-comer writer they're working together is... Oh, no, wait. The up-and-comer, Simon Kesh, is attached to direct. Very cool. Yeah, I remember when yeah. that movie came out. Um, interesting that they're looking at it again now because it really is a sleeper hit. Yeah, I mean, they're, this article is kind of saying that it's kind of a... I think the words they use are tough reboot to crack because the previous incarnations... We're never sort of, I don't know, deciphered or something. I, I don't know. They're just having a hard time. So they're actually, the I mean, the title of the article is that they're taking new pitches on Cube. So they're kind of, they're saying, in other words, we can't quite nail down the story. Okay. We need a better story. If they're taking pitches on it, it means like if you and I are screenwriters, we could go through our agent, get a meeting yeah. and pitch a Cube story. Let's do it. So they're like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Because it's that easy. It, let's just do it. Let's just improv <laughs> the whole thing. I can uh, do a uh, an interpretive dance while you break down the... Yeah. Well, the funny thing about Lionsgate too is it also tells it also tells you that they're trying to they're trying to get a new entry for the Leprechaun fan franchise, oh and they're also trying to revive the the Blair Witch Project that they've oh, been trying on. to do. So now Leprechaun, I'd revisit if Jennifer Aniston came back. Ah, <laughs> you know she's gonna get right on that. Yeah, she would love it. She'd come. You know what? She's so cool, though. I guarantee you, if they were like, "Listen, we need you to come back and do a cameo," she'd do it. A cameo? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe if it wasn't a hot pile of garbage, I think she would. Even if it was a hot pile, no, I'm just kidding. I don't think so. I'm only kidding. The last one was a hot pile of garbage. So I remember the cover box from Cube, and I remember uh, when we got. We always knew how movies were doing when I worked at Blockbuster by how many we would get in the inventory, (laughs) and then sometimes they would. They Look, would hundred movies. Well, hmm. they would underestimate, and movies like Cube were always rented out because then people would figure like we maybe and had. I remember that that was always yeah. so annoying. We would always have like five or six copies of it, and people are like, "Why is this out?" I'm like, "I don't know. We only got five or six copies." It's of like it. there's fifty copies of Top Gun or whatever, and there's like two copies with of three Cube. videos behind yes. one cover box. Yeah, we couldn't give them away. I know. <sighs> that was always very point. annoying from a from my don't, side of don't make me get all nostalgic about blockbuster video i have a ghost story please tell us the ghost story i found this online because you guys are not sending me your ghost stories so i have to find them <laughs> i think you need to just give up on that a few years ago i moved into a one-bedroom apartment in melbourne australia it was my first time living on my own the apartment block had been built in the 1930s she has a she has a ghost story voice <laughs> And this is it. I'd been there for a few months when I came home from work one day and went into the bathroom. I saw something strange, a wooden board, which yeah, had your voice. 
It's not scary. <laughs> Which had covered a hole in the ceiling that led to a small attic space. Lay fractured in two pieces on the ground. Okay, Gwendolyn. I examined the pieces. The board was an inch thick, and it would have taken Bruce Lee to break it. I thought the landlord had set someone to work on the attic. I was frozen stiff with fear. Someone is up there for sure, I thought. I emailed pictures to the landlord asking if anyone had been there with an undertone of annoyance since she hadn't warned me. Her reply read, please call me as soon as you are able to. I called and she explained that her last two tenants had said the same thing happened. She promised to replace the board. And she did. A month later, I woke up one night around 4 a.m. My body was covered in goosebumps. It felt like someone was rubbing his or her hands on me. Everything was silent, but then I heard a dragging sound coming from above my bed. It was as if someone was pulling a sack of potatoes. I froze. Convinced someone was up there. There is no way an animal could make that sound. After five minutes, I worked up the courage to turn on the light, armed myself with a cricket bat, walked into the bathroom. That's when I saw that the new board covering the hole was broken in two. I felt sick. The dragging sound had stopped, but I heard something else whispering. The sound was clear and coming from the attic. It sounded like children's voices, and I could hear one sentence repeated over and over. It's your turn. It's your turn. I switched on every light in the apartment to make things feel normal. It was 5 a.m. and dark outside. I watched TV to try to unwind. Then a fuse blew. My pet budgie, Dexter, who I am kept in the kitchen, usually never made a sound at night, but he started squawking like he was being strangled. I'd never heard him make those sorts of noises. He was screaming. I grabbed my car keys, ran out, sat in my car, and waited there until the sun came up. Seriously, I probably would have done the same thing. <laughs> yeah. It's saw- like what nobody ever does in a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. Nobody ever just yeah, goes I'm like, just peace wait out. outside. Yeah. <laughs> when I saw people walking their dogs, this comforted me enough to go back in. The front door was open, but I figured I might have forgotten to close it when I ran out. I went to the kitchen to check on Dexter, but he wasn't in his cage. I felt sick again. All my windows were closed, so I looked everywhere inside. When I walked to the bathroom, I heard splashing. Dexter was half drowned in the toilet. No. I'm meaning to laugh. I took him out, washed him, and dried him. I was so confused. At 8 a.m., I called the landlord and gave her a watered-down version of the night. Oh, wow, you heard whispering, too, she said. I stayed in that apartment for another 18 months. I heard the whispering on a few occasions and twice the board covering the hole in the ceiling moved. Although I live elsewhere now, the landlord recently called. She said that her new tenants had begged to speak with me about some of the stuff that had been going on there. Forget it. It's their problem now. I really want to know what happened to Dexter. Like, is he okay still? <laughs> right. Well, I don't know. You were the one laughing at him. Well, I mean... <laughs> I think you're laughing. He was at your half own voice. drowned in the toilet. I think you were laughing at yourself. <laughs> yeah, poor Dexter. Poor Dexter, man. No con- no conclusion for Dexter. No, we-, we know the person's fine and they left, but you know, did I mean? I guess they would have mentioned if Dexter eventually something happened. I imagine he was just a little waterlogged. Now yeah, you shake right. it off. Oh. Dogs do shake it off. Shake it off. Shake it off. Okay. The other B, thank you for that. You're so welcome. Thanks for the ghost story from the interwebs. I'm sorry that people aren't sending you their ghost stories, but I imagine there are plenty on the web to share when you find really good ones. I'm trying to make these as annoying as possible. So they're like, oh my God, please let me just send her mine so she doesn't have to read those. I think we noticed that. Okay. Appreciate it. I think you won. You won that game. All right. I did want to mention also for those of you who are fans of the Japanese zombie flick, One Cut of the Dead, which is a great one if you haven't seen it. Well, I'm sorry to say that the French have made a French language (laughs) remake of it. And it's called, well, it's the director who did the movie, The Artist, and they're calling it Final Cut, you know, in French, Coupe or whatever. Final cut is in French, hmm. and I, I, I ha, again mixed feelings. I will, of course, watch it. That's what we do. It premiered at Cannes Film Festival, and the thing about it is, one cut of the dead is got a, of course, a Japanese zombie flick feel to it, mm-hmm. and it's very clever and very well done, and of course was very uh, critically acclaimed when it first came out, and you know. 
now this this filmmaker has a big budget and one cut of the dead was an indie is so this is a remake yeah in and their I, own okay and what i'm reading is it's like shot for shot wow so i gotta one up us french uh, not that i'm japanese i don't know why i said us i i don't i'm not sure either <laughs> But I mean, I will watch it and I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I obviously know the ending, so that's not going to impress me. And the is clever it- part of One Cut of the Dead is the story and how it, and how it rolls out. I mean, it's cleverly made. Okay. So I just, I mean, we'll see. I see your pain, though. I see you struggling okay. with, like, wanting to accept. It's like you with the Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, I mean, it, well, it is. But also sometimes <laughs> when movies have bigger budgets, that's not always better. No, that's what I, I just see yeah. that fail so many yeah. times. It's like trying to remake Blair Witch in that article. I'm just like, really? It, no. And and the whole idea around Blair Witch when it came out is because it was such a sleeper, people really thought it was real footage. Like there was a collective trauma. And we didn't that. we didn't have a massive found footage. No, and we now on. know how it ends and that it's not real. Yeah. Like now when we watch now people with found footage films have to be far more creative yeah. because it's far harder to get us in that space than it was. I'm I'm disappointed for you. Thank you. Would you like to do... But hopeful. We're going to do the, your favorite thing then, so... Death Metal blew out my mics. Blew out the levels. As You're a good cookie welcome. monster should. Mm-hmm. Okay, there is a question on this one that is from one of our patrons. And you must guess which one. I must. And who it is. <laughs> okay. For what reason did children's author Hans Christian Andersen keep a note on his bedside table while he slept that read, I only appear to be dead? <laughs> he was such a kook. You're a kook. You're a kooky kook. I am. Number two. In what classic horror film did this famous line appear? This is no dream. This is really happening. Yeah. Do you need the options? I mean, you can go ahead. But for you, the people. Okay. A, Last House on the Left. Mm-hmm. B, Rosemary's Baby. C, The Omen. Cool. Number three. The catfish is the <laughs> animal with the most teeth in the world. Mm. How many pearly whites does a catfish have? <laughs> so random. <laughs> well, because it's really gross. I, I mean, some of is. these are horror facts that are not. No, I know. Yeah. You're, I know. I'm familiar with the variety these days, but I can still laugh. Because, of course, I you said catfish, and I'm like, is she going internet catfishing? Yeah, no. No, literal catfish. Because <laughs> that's a horror, too, by the way. Oh, no, seriously. Number four. Did you put your number down? Yeah. Okay. How long would someone live in space without a suit? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, if that's your question, <laughs> I don't fucking know. But go ahead. Gregory Peck and writer David Seltzer were both plagued by an incident while filming The Omen. Which one of these incidents happened to both? Okay. So, A. It both ha- it happened to both of them. It happened to both of them. Okay. A. A plane, uh, plane struck by lightning. B. Bitten by a dog, or C, their home's caught on fire. Yep. Okay. Well, those are fun. There you go. Thank you so much. So welcome. We're going to come back and do a little segment on The Way Down, which is an HBO documentary about a recent cult. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. 
everyone. We are back. Let's talk about the Way Down TV series. Oof. It's a 2021 American documentary produced and directed by Marina Zanovich for HBO. And there are five episodes, and they started on September 30th, 2021. And actually, the last two of them premiered April 28th, 2022. So mm-hmm. they took a little while to come out. And it chronicles the life and happenings of a cult leader named Gwen Shamblin Lara. Shamblin being her maiden name, Lara being her married name. The founder of a diet program called the Way Down Workshop. And she was also the founder of a church fellowship called the Remnant Fellowship. And it's a new Christian group that was led by her that she started somewhere in the middle of all of this. So it started with a diet program and ended with a cult (laughs) is basically the idea. So this series, what I would say about the series is it was interesting because the first three episodes came out in September of last year and then the last two came out this April. So it was a little bit of a waiting game there. But I, my thought process around this was, of course, it was reprehensible in the very beginning to me and this is what cult leaders do is to center this on women who need to lose weight. Mm -hmm. It's awful. It's, Mm -hmm. it's really awful because so it started as a diet program and she had this thing called the way down workshop, which I checked this out. You can still go on Amazon and buy her books and videos and DVDs and all of this. And it still exists. So her diet program to start in the beginning, her diet program was centered around God and how, I would say how God relates to mindfulness. In other words, mindfulness is also a thing that diet programs and cognitive behaviorists will talk to you a lot about mindfulness because if you can, if you have an issue with eating or you're overweight, you can figure out when you're not hungry anymore and stop eating earlier if you are mindful and checking into your body. So just like with all these things, there is a is a very helpful, good concept in the middle of this. And if for a God-fearing person, if that entails prayer, so be it. If mindfulness to you is prayer and that gets you stopped and checking into yourself and understanding where you need to stop eating and whether you're truly hungry or not and all of those things that people with food issues struggle with, then so be it. Like, I don't have any problem. I don't think any of us really have any problem with you doing you. Like, you do you. You believe in what you need to believe in. And if that helps, great. But what ended up happening is she got very famous and it was very successful. And a lot of, and her diets were not about what, not about what you're eating, but not eating very much, basically. And eating only when you're hungry. And eating only when you're hungry. Which is not a new concept. Not a new concept. No, none of it is yeah. ever a new concept, right? Yeah. Like, there's but only... She, she, you know, obviously labeled it as her... Well, and it was like, if you're hungry, pray. Or if you're not, you know, if you're, if you think you're hungry and you're not sure, pray. Now, like I said before, you can equate that with mindfulness. If prayer stops you and has you think about your own satiation and if you're hungry and all of that, it's literally just like the mindfulness concept. Mm -hmm. And mindfulness is used in cognitive behavioral therapy for weight loss all over the place. And it can be very successful. So she starts out as that. And then at some point along the way, which is chronicled in this documentary, she decides to start a church and become a preacher. And so she starts the remnant fellowship and she began to believe that she had the Christian perfection needed to heal the world. Mm-hmm. Which, if that doesn't sound like a flaw, I don't know what is. Because quite honestly, if if any of you have read the Bible or looked into faith at all, as soon as you start saying you are a deity on earth, you're going against the many principles <laughs> of and she, religion. Right, and she was smart to never explicitly state that she was, you know, she would say, I'm not really quite sure. So she never, she was very skilled in. Well, publicly. Publicly. Yeah. I mean, I believe what what this documentary does well, I think, is it it interviews tons and tons of her followers. Which is why those last two episodes, I mean, it takes a lot of courage to yeah come out and speak against, you know, we saw this with uh, Church of Scientology as well. Mm -hmm. Um, It takes a lot of bravery for victims who've been traumatized to come out and speak about their perpetrators or their experience. And so 
to mm-hmm. think it you know, took them that long to get people. Absolutely. I think they wanted to go, you know, they wanted to get more. One, yeah. one woman specifically, I can't remember her name. She was hilarious. Yeah. There was a couple of very funny women in this. And they honestly. were like, F this and what's this shit? I mean, they got, you could tell that they had been way out of it for a while. Out of it for a long time. Like I, I can imagine. so real. I can imagine they wanted to lose weight and they were a fan of God. And so it made sense. Like I'm sure it made sense in the beginning. And, and just like anything, it, it really, it's really attractive and interesting and it makes sense and all of that from a, from an outsider's point of view. Like when you go into a church and you see these really charismatic people and you see so many people and everyone is kind yeah, and everyone is nice and you're accepting. I mean, there isn't anything wrong with any of that. Right. And then you get kind of more and more, you know, they groom you and there's like more and more into it. And then once you become like leadership and all of that, then you start seeing the fucked up in this basically. And that's true of all cults, like any cult you want to look at she has this fellowship and she has all of these followers. And one day she decides to deny the Holy Trinity. And for those of you who don't happen to know what that is, it's the father, son, and the Holy ghost in the Christian religion. And the Bible talks about those three deities being the Godhead. Basically it's the Christian doctrine. It's the Trinity it's not just God that's in charge in these faith systems. It's the Holy Trinity that's in charge. It's the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Like, you know, they collaborate, mm-hmm. basically. You know, it's the checks and balances, the American government, <laughs> only in religion. For those of you who might have thought that Christians believe that just God is in charge, they don't. They believe that there's this Holy Trinity. And so she decides she decides to deny the Trinity, saying that God is above the other two. God mm-hmm. is above the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this... So she was doing okay until that happens. She had her little cult and she had her little religion and she was making bank, living in rich houses and doing her thing. And the Christian religion was like, yay, you, we're going to give you some money and we're going to send people and we're going to support you. And then one day she decides to make her own religion because that's what it is. She made it her own religion where God was above the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the Christian religion said, oh, no, 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 no. We no longer support you. We're going to fuck off because no, you don't, you don't get to do that. Like now you are now starting your own religion and you're a sect, as they say, Mm -hmm. like you're, you're over there and, and we don't like it. And so they divided the cult from all other Christianity. Like this idea divided her. And what do you do when you divide the leader? You divide the members. And so Mm -hmm. now any, a lot of people left at that point. Because a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, no, I don't think so. So half the people leave. So now you have your true followers for your sect, right, for your cult. Because these people, you realize these people are going to follow you no matter what you say. And mm-hmm. I imagine that's what she realized. We don't really have her point of view on any of this. Because this isn't one of those ones where she, the documentary took all the news footage and everything and, and also just collateral information. Everyone who knew her was kind of interviewed a lot, you know, whoever was willing. So, but what they talked about was that she was rigid. She was unforgiving. You know, she required people to attend. They were getting sued all of the time because she would make requirements of, and she guilt people on the way out saying, listen, you're going to gain all this weight back if you leave. Yep. She was gaslighting people constantly, uh, she was God's authority and she was God on earth. Like that was what she was doing. Yeah, I w- just to interject real quickly here, when, when you're talking about the, removing, you know, Jesus or the son and the Holy Ghost is like when you look at that and it's, you're left with God, God is really this very a- ambiguous thing. And in some of these contemporary church cults, it's like God is just a mere projection of that individual's own grandiosity. It's like you said, like mm-hmm. she essentially became the son. Yeah, that's, that's exactly like, that's why the Christian faith would be like, you're, you're going against one, the Holy Trinity, and you're also going against nobody is God. Nobody is the Holy Trinity here on earth. Mm -hmm. We never, you know, one never exalts themselves to goddess or God status. Right. That's a no, no. Right. (laughs) You just don't do that. So she, she was sort of saying like, Oh, and she was saying she was the channel for God. She's yes. the she's God on earth. Yes. So everything she says 
matters and is the is is the word of god where a lot of preachers you know don't confuse it a lot of preachers will talk about the word of god right they're not saying that they're the only channel to god they're saying you should be a channel to god you should be a channel of god mm-hmm. that we all have our own channels to god you have your own relationship with god at least the good preachers anyway well and we, we know about cult leaders they are yeah. always the the channel to God. Everything has to funnel through, through them. them because otherwise you don't have control over everyone. Right. And so, you know, here's where it couples with the, the diet and things. So she believed that the way you look is everything so that you have to be the image of perfection. And that's not to say that she is the image of perfection. Not with that hair. Uh, yeah. And her hair is widely made fun of because what ended up happening is her hair just got bigger and bigger and blonder <laughs> like and a lot blonder. of aquanet and it just it looks a bit it just looks ridiculous and you know i wish that weren't the case because it's it's really interesting when someone as vain as her and as controlling and obsessed with image as her is yes very very emaciated and thin and her poor daughter looks like sissy spacek from carrie she's so thin and emaciated and pale that someone who prides themselves on the way they look and wants you to look a certain way has messed with her looks so badly that she's got this weird kind of hair and she doesn't really fit in with like the rest of you'd think you'd want to fit in a bit but she doesn't at all and unfortunately, during that, you know, this is more contemporary, but I we just did a discussion and talked about the, or actually we didn't do a discussion. I talked about watching the show that was about Tammy Faye mm-hmm. from the 80s. And Tammy Faye, that show was so good. It, w- it, w- it very much showed her in, a, in an empathetic light. Mm-hmm. And... You know her looks were off the wall nutters too, mm-hmm. with the big blonde hair. Don't and mess the blue with my eye shadow. Don't mess with my eye makeup. And and they're both yeah. from the south. You can't mm-hmm. help but see the correlations. Yeah. Except for that, Tammy Faye is portrayed as a victim of a man, and mm-hmm. and this woman is definitely the head of things. And she actually then takes a husband, which is also part of this. Oh boy, that guy. documentary, which I know Kathy has some. Thoughts on that. She marries a guy named Joe Lara, who is an, a failed actor. And then they become the head of this church together. And, you know, they have a lot of witnesses and people that talk about him and his history and how he's just a big faker fake. I loved the interviews with Natasha Pavlovich, which is his ex-wife, and some of the stuff that she... I, I have to say, not that it's comedic relief would not be the right term to use no but there are some funny moments in this for sure but now that some of them have been out of this because there are some very emotional moments where she talks about the custody of her daughter and the the concern she has in losing her daughter to this cult and that was that that was really sad but when she starts to just hone in on how joe's won the lottery like facetiously you know but in, in in some ways you know, marries this woman and the way that Natasha describes her. I I was laughing at at points. It was pretty funny. Yeah. I mean, and I'm sure that she had to laugh in a lot of ways too, because it's just not, it's not a great situation. Cause another, another through line in this story is one, you're kind of following the story of this marriage. You're following the epicenter and how this cult got developed. You're also following all these interviews. They even interview her hairstylist, which I think was a genius because the whole time you're just looking at her hair going, what happened there? And so they interview her hairstylist. <laughs> so that's a funny or interesting part of this. There's a lot of women that have a lot of um, funny thoughts about it in hindsight. And so that's really gratifying for me to see because of course, being in a cult for any length of time is extremely traumatic. And so they have those interviews, too, of people that have really struggled mental health-wise because mm-hmm. they were traumatized, they were abused. And this is a church and a cult that still exists and still has a church and materials and is still going strong. So just know that. There are a couple of things that, I, if you don't mind, I want to go back to really quick. Please. Um, I know that we talk about this in, uh, you know, we're distinguishing this specific church from a lot of other Christian churches, but there are elements of it that I think that in 
growing up, I was, I went to some contemporary Christian churches and I will say that sometimes, and we were talking about this before we were recording, sometimes contemporary churches look like they're very open and very evolved and it's, it, it's a way to lure people in. And then once the doors are shut, they'll say some really fundamentalist things. And one of the biggest, I think, atrocities of the 80s and 90s was the purity movement and what it did to a lot of people and you know they mentioned this in the um in the documentary i can't remember i think it's the 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 guy that they're interviewing throughout he's kind of like the narrator who's a specialist in cults interventionalist i think he was yeah you know he talks about um how the proof of purity is to wait i look at that as deprivation is proof of your loyalty And so we see this embedded throughout a lot of certain churches. I'm not suggesting that is every theme in every single Christian church, but I can say I've been to many and was raised in many. And this idea of deprivation and denying your, your, um, anything that you feel and what you feel must be bad And the longer you can hold out and the longer you can proverbially and in this way literally starve, the more dedicated you are. And so in this situation, these people are forced to deny their urges and impulses, not for the reason that Shannon was saying, which is like there's mindfulness practice that's really healthy that doesn't lead to deprivation. But this was the more deprived and the more broken down they were, the more they leaned into trusting her. And this whole movement is not, I mean, it's been around sex, it's been around food, it's been around other urges. This is just a theme in the Christian community. And it can be actually quite dangerous. And you know what it, it teaches young men and women to basically like just you need to hold off on everything and you just need to wait and that is the proof of your loyalty and i think there's so much danger in that absolutely one of the places where gwen went off the rails as well and started to heighten the sociopathy or psychopathy of the organization is that not only was she an entrepreneur, basically an exploitive domineering entrepreneur and a cult leader, is that one of the things that went off the rails for them and they started getting sued and they started getting more very, very bad publicity, which was very difficult for her and her followers, was that she believed in the rod the rod on the child. So Spare the rod, spoil the child. Banking the children, they had a daycare. And Mm -hmm. you were a member of the church and that daycare is where your children went every day. And they interviewed the care workers that worked in the daycare and how hitting the children was the way that they kept everybody in line. And that came from Gwen. And so spanking the children, controlling the medical and psychiatric care, controlling the courts, you know, when someone was sued, like controlling that whole situation. And what ended up started happening is a child died. And that broke open the floodgates of investigation. So there were search warrants for her house. There were search warrants for the church. There were investigations. And... I just want to let you guys know this does go into the criminal realm. In other words, she was investigated. Things were said. Things were done. I'd like you to watch the documentary, so I'm not going to tell you everything that happens. But because she was telling everybody to hit their children and not just hit them but beat them until they would say yes to whatever, you know, you look, you can see the children are emaciated. Like they, the whole thing was around starvation starving starving people because if you look at her higher leaders they're all starved way underweight and she was underweight in my opinion obviously that's a personal choice but the the interview looks of them the inner the interview with the babysitter 
was really good at this part of the documentary where she describes mm-hmm. being an outsider, what she was asked mm-hmm. to do by one of the fathers. And then she and, quit, which was smart. She, quit as, she was like 16. Mm-hmm. She's just going to be like a babysitter in the, yeah, he in was the caregiver like, thing. You just need to punch him. And she's like, excuse me? I'm not going to do that. Beg pardon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She went home and told her mom and her mom's like, oh, hell no. Yeah, get out. Get <laughs> oh, out. We're getting out. So she gets out. So mm-hmm. they have a lot of stories from people that were just like there for a minute and got out because of course those are the people that had the ego strength to understand and weren't in a vulnerable mental spot to be taken in by the by the cult but so a lot of stuff goes down and I'm, and we're definitely not telling you all that happens and so i would just say it's worth a watch so as far as the documentary is concerned i would say that it does take a little while to get going as far as pacing is considered and and i'm wondering if that's because you know they had these two episodes planned and then it kind of the 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 two ending episodes plan in the bottom kind of dropped out probably because they lost some interviews and people got scared and things started to happen. And there's some other events that make sense why those two episodes didn't, didn't happen right away. So they were maybe stretching it out a little bit. (laughs) And you guys know, I have a little bit of an issue of these four five, six part stories that don't have enough story. These documentaries that don't have enough story, but it's worth it for what happens. It's worth it for what unfolds. And it's also got a guilty pleasure aspect to it. Not going to lie. It does. It's got a little bit of a like, I'm sitting here eating popcorn going, whoa, these people <laughs> kind of mm-hmm. thing, which I think is one of the reasons why people enjoy these true crime. Sure. You know, we all have to admit it's a little bit of a guilty pleasure. So I would recommend it. You? I thought it was good. Yeah, me too. I think it's up there with like recent ones, like being good for some of the recent fodder that we have. It was entertaining for sure. Yeah, for sure. So thank you so much for this. And we are going to be right back because we're going to talk about some movies that we've been watching, maybe recommend some little horror flicks, and then we're going to do our horror facts. (laughs) She'll give us the answer. So we'll be right back. Hi. <laughs> Let's talk movies, shall we? We shall. Well, I watched, actually, I'll start with, I watched a little documentary on hmm. Shudder that came out last month called The Found Footage Phenomenon. Okay. So it's an independent documentary charting the origins of the found footage subgenre. Now, I will say that I enjoyed this because... I knew a lot of the found footage movies they were talking about, but I didn't know all of them. And I maybe had seen, I don't know, 25% of what they mentioned. And I made a list as I was going through the documentary, just like every time they mentioned another movie, I would like write it down. And they talk about scads of movies. So that's a really cool thing. They, They do document sort of how it, originated and some really old stuff and kind of where the OGs are Mm -hmm. and where that idea kind of, and then when it kind of exploded with Blair Witch and all of that, but then also the trajectory to now, and they just mentioned a ton of films. So if you're not that well versed in that subgenre, you can get a lot of meat out of it. Like, Oh, "Oh, that one sounds interesting. Oh, that one sounds interesting. Or, and so, whereas I've only seen maybe 25% of it, I watched it with one of our, friend pepper and she's a huge found footage person as far as like she watches all the stuff and what was great is that even she had like three or four that were mentioned that she hadn't heard oh wow so there's so that's cool right like so if you just think oh well you're just a novice so you didn't know any of them no there's more (laughs) the expert didn't know a few of them there's always more and found footage like my god they're coming Mm -hmm. out with them every 10 minutes because they're so cheap to make yeah so anyway i would recommend it if you're into the documentaries about subgenres and stuff which i think we are we it's just like fun to learn about stuff you don't know about so 
Sorry, I meant to ask you too at the beginning of the show. You had mentioned there was another documentary on on queer horror that you had. Remember what you said? Yeah, yeah on Shutter. Hmm. Which one do I want to start with? I think I'll start with a movie I watched on Netflix from 2021 called The Stylist. This is a very slow, ominous burn that I actually really liked. Mm -hmm. So I'll read the summary here. Well, we all dream of being someone else, but for Claire, played by, I think it's pronounced Najara Townsend, Mm. who is wonderful in this. Cool. That dream goes from an obsession to a living nightmare. Hairstylist by day, serial killer, and collector of scalps by night. Claire's lonely existence is thrown into turmoil when her regular client, Olivia, played by Brea Grant, asks her to style her hair for her wedding day. Increasingly fixated on Olivia's seemingly flawless life, Claire vows to lock up her scalp collection and change her ways for good, only to discover that repressing your deadly desires is easier said than done. This is a really dark film. There isn't a lot of dialogue. A lot of Claire's character is portrayed through her behavior, her nonverbals, the music, the lighting, um, at least her character. Because I think I would imagine what the director was doing is so much of what's going on with Claire is she's in her head mm-hmm. and you're trying to interpret certain things. Although Olivia was like nonstop talking when she was on and, and that that dichotomy was really effective. It was like really showed that Claire's character was very withdrawn and something was very off. And the movie starts off like kind of quirky and weird and a little slow. And then it starts to go dark, real dark. And the end of it is a really cool ending. It's really morbid. But I loved the psychology of her character. I loved the development of her character. Most people who reviewed it, I was looking to see if other people liked it. Most people seem to have liked it. There were a couple people who thought it was too slow and it wasn't going anywhere. But if you really just watch it for the character development and the depth of the psychology, it's a good, really fucked up film. Yeah, I've seen it. I liked a lot of the effects with the hair cutting and the scissors yeah. and the, it was pretty gory in that yeah. way. Mm-hmm. I remember not liking it as much as I thought it was going to okay. because it got a lot of buzz and it still gets a lot of buzz mm. for 2020. Okay. And, you know, it was based on a short film. Mm-hmm. And so then they made it a full movie, which a lot of movies mm-hmm. are. And, and it wasn't, I mean, it was close to two hours. It wasn't. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was like an hour and 45. Or it could have been a little shorter. But, but, but mm-hmm. you know, sometimes when it's based on a short film, it really works. And sometimes there's just not much more. Yeah. <laughs> but this one, it was much darker than you think it's going to be. Totally. You like look at it like, oh, it's a hairstylist movie. But yeah. No. But it's... but it also is a standard horror movie where bad shit happens yeah. for sure people die it's a it's a slasher it is <laughs> it, and probably why i liked it which makes sense why <laughs> yeah, you like it yeah. <laughs> yeah cool i also was able to and i don't know if this really qualifies <laughs> or not but i think it does i watched the the northman hmm. 2022 it's an action action adventure film but it's pretty horrifying i mean it's a revenge epic it's a bloody revenge epic it's set in the north basically so there's a lot of norse like norwegian swedish icelandic i'm i'm not sure actually viking it's it's the vikings so i mm, all right let me just tell you what it's about we'll start with that prince amleth is on the verge of becoming a man when his father is brutally murdered by his uncle who kidnaps the boy's mother two decades later amleth is now a viking who's on a mission to save his mother kill his uncle and avenge his father so we got the shakespearean vibes going on definitely an epic tale uh directed and produced by robert eggers and so we know where that's going, which is he did The Witch and The Lighthouse. Mm-hmm. So Alexander Skarsgård is the reason why I wanted to see this that's movie. That's why a lot of people, I think, wanted to see it. Besides the, and I mean, Nicole Kidman's in it, yeah. and Ethan Hawke, and a couple of other people. The man candy that they are purporting this, 
you know, Alex Skarsgård as a Viking with a shirt off is like all the posters, right? And I like an epic movie anyway, and I like a big action adventure Game of Thrones-esque thing, although I have my issues with Game of Thrones different seasons. <laughs> like I have thoughts and feelings about each, you know, it went really great sometimes and not really great other times. And it got, the Northman got a lot of very positive critical reviews. It's two hours and 20 minutes long or something kill like me. that. Just kill like, me. Kill I, me now. You'd have to drug me to drag me into that movie. Well, you know, I didn't watch it alone because you just, you just can't do it. It's like, I, I definitely would have turned it off. I definitely would have taken an intermission, something like that. But yeah. I was, but I, you know, with all the movies, I do other things while I'm watching. Yeah. It's pretty rare that I get gripped by a movie. And I should probably mention that when it happens on the show. But like, it's pretty rare when I get so gripped that yeah, I'm not doing I, anything I else. I agree. I think that's a lot of us these days. Yeah. You're doing other stuff. It's like most movies are too long and stuff. But, you know, you have moods. That's why, that's why I was saying last week that you know see the top gun movie the new top gun movie in the theater because it i think it is a gripping movie but yeah. i think you could probably tap out in something you know go get a sandwich or whatever <laughs> and that wouldn't help or more popcorn it just wouldn't help i know people <laughs> who walked out of this laughing at it that it was just it, it got ridiculous yes it does uh, there are ridiculous parts. So William Defoe's got a little mini part in it. He plays the father, but mm -hmm. of course the father, as as described, dies, and it's it is a little bit. It's very culturally very different than what we're used to watching too. In that, isn't there a Shakespearean element to this too? Or am I? Well, yeah, that like up? I said, it's got you know, it's, it's avenging and you know. But I thought it was actually based on a specific. Oh no, okay. not that I know of. Okay. So, yes, the performances are pretty good. Alexander Skarsgård is a very different person in this movie. Like he he plays a very different character than he normally does. He bulked up crazy like. This is an actor who we know to have a very nice body from True Blood and all the things that he does. He's kind of known for his physique. But it's tall and lanky. Like he's a tall lanky guy, but in this movie like they bulked him out like a pro wrestler or something. He's big. He looks like a viking. So they did a really good job as far as portraying and Ethan Hawke I thought did a really good job. I love him anyway. You don't really but it's very different. He it's, changes his voice. I was say, that's not a role you would usually no, see him in. I didn't recognize him at first. It changed, you know, the greasy hair and the, it's, you know, it's period, it's a period piece. Mm -hmm. They long greasy hair and they don't wear any clothes. And <laughs> it's like, they're very primitive. There's like mm -hmm. a burping and farting scene. There's, <laughs> you know, it's not really a movie with Willem Dafoe these days unless there's, you know, burping yeah. and farting. So Nicole Kidman is whatever. She's, I don't know. Yeah. I don't like her in this. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Okay. <laughs> but I also can take her or leave her in a lot of things. There's a lot of the older stuff, the others, and some other movies Gosh, from back yeah. in the day that I that I like. You know, Practical Magic. Mm -hmm. And there was a time. Days of Thunder. Yeah. There was a time yeah. when I really, I thought sure. it was great. And I don't know. These days, not as much. Although I liked The Undoing. So maybe I'm lying to myself. She's great in that. And she was also great in, um, what is it? Something Little Lies? Big Little Lies? Oh, so maybe it's hit or miss for me. I think it is. Sometimes lately, it's very hit or miss I for me. I think her TV series lately have been better than her films. Personally. Well, and maybe they're just casting her in a more appropriate way. Yeah. This, not so much. Okay. My thought was that there were some parts that I really enjoyed. I do like that sort of epic. The, the scenery is gorgeous. The shot selection is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. The Some of, you know, the beginning and the end are great. <laughs> you know how it goes. Mm -hmm. If you are a woman who likes to look at sexy men do sexy things like you're a fan of 300, perhaps the movie 300, I like and it's that all movie. a bunch of like men being men, which I, I can really get behind. Like I, I like that. I loved 300. It's, well, though. it's an excellent movie, yeah. but what I'm saying is it's also eye candy. Yeah. And so that you're not going to get that is in this movie. So mm -hmm. I, I was kind of like, okay, maybe that, maybe that will be a fantastic part of this movie and it won't even be a good movie but too much be burping that. and farting so i know that there are women out there that are seeing these posters of alexander that's what they're playing on <laughs> they're trying to get women to the theater because they know that women is a huge audience in the theater and yes there are scenes with him fighting and all of that which happened in the beginning and there are scenes with him fighting and stuff at the end but the bulk of the two hours and 20 minutes is very mythological very shakespearean kind of Game of Thronesy 
and I fought losing consciousness a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> the critic reviews are better than the audience reviews, and yeah. now I know why. It's just, just too fucking long. Yeah. It's too long. Yeah. Tighten it up, and it would have been one of those ones where you're like, man, big epic, great looking, good shots, love those muscles, on to the next. Right. But no, no you got to no. do two hours and 17 had to, minutes. It had to be Dances with Wolves. Mother of God. And I had some hopes because The Witch was awesome. Okay. I'll just mention one more. I watched a movie called The Silence from 2019. A lot of uh, people criticized it because they said it was a uh, t- that they stole elements of The Quiet Place. And well, yeah, they're making a lot of those now. Yeah, but uh, that I have, doesn't mean it has to be bad. Well, I have a caveat to that in a okay. moment because a lot of people didn't realize that this was actually made before. So the story of a family struggling to survive in a world terrorized by a deadly primitive species who have evolved for millions of years in the pitch darkness of a vast underground cave system hunting only with their acute hearing ability. As the family seeks refuge in a remote haven where they can wait out the invasion, they start to wonder what kind of world will remain when they're ready to emerge. A lot of people said, well, this is straight out of a quiet place and why was this even made? But just so people know... A Quiet Place came out in 2018, where this one uh, was actually based on a book from 2017. So it actually came before. What was probably happened is once The Quiet Place did well, they decided to turn it into a movie. But it was its own idea. Um, It stars Stanley Tucci and John Corbett. I love both of them. Mm -hmm. The movie, as a standalone movie, if you're not comparing it to A Quiet Place, it's okay. Mm -hmm. I think it's more of a combination of A Quiet Place, Jurassic Park, and The Walking Dead. (laughs) Um, Okay. There are moments of it that remind me. Jurassic Park? That's interesting. Because of the the birds look very prehistoric. Um, they almost look like prehistoric bats. Okay. They're really actually kind of creepy. I mean, that sounds pretty cool. Um, yeah, the the that's what I'm saying. The villains, like, you know, in A Quiet Place, it's just, you know, this sort of essence of something. Yes. Where these look like, you know, just these prehistoric you see them. alien birds, and there mm-hmm. are many of them. I, I, there are some really unsettling moments in the film. For example, I'll just say, you know, dogs bark, so what do you have to do with your family dog? Yep. Okay. Stanley Tucci, his daughter loses her hearing when she's 13, so she can speak. But well, that's they, why the quiet place thing. Yeah. She can speak, though, because she had her hearing up until that point. And so their relationship is kind of cool. John Corbett's character is not a huge part of it, and you want him to be more because he's just a really lovable character in this film. But I just think that as a movie itself, it wasn't terrible. There you was know what? Really... I've seen this movie. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Yeah, I just looked it up in my little list here because <laughs> I forget a lot of movies. I just think it got... I'm like, this sounds really familiar. Yeah, I just think it got dismissed because of A Quiet Place. I will also say, too, and this is mentioned in some of the reviews, that... It, the way that they depict the the villains in this movie mm-hmm. easily could have been, you know, these villains could have been taken out okay. by the way that what it takes for them to be destroyed is sure. basically you just have to, like this one guy was like, all you have to do is cast a few nets and throw some sounds over to the side and they would all go into that net and problem <laughs> solved. But what happens is they learn um, towards the middle end of the movie it really becomes about the evolution of the species which is different from quiet place where they now have to live in a world where language will never be a possibility again and it it is somewhat of a metaphor to how over time our species evolve into different so i thought that part was kind of cool but it was enjoyable if you remove a quiet place out of your head and just watch it Mm -hmm. it wasn't bad Right. It sounds like it wasn't a perfect film, certainly. And no. it's not mm-hmm. necessarily a good film in any way, but like, or not, it's not necessarily a good film, all all encompassing a good yeah. film, but like, it's entertaining good parts and you enjoyed the watch. Yeah. Cool. I wanted to mention a couple of movies that I watched. I'm, I'm going to go old school, which as Kathy knows, I don't usually do. Oh, I'm impressed. I watched a movie called The Gate from 1987. Mm. That's an oldie i know for me yeah i mean that is not that's for you a, but that's a that's a classic <laughs> yeah 1987 horror flick 85 minutes long when al and glenn's parents and guess what glenn is played by 
a very young Stephen Dorff uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> and his parents leave town for the weekend. Al uses the opportunity to throw a party while little brother Glenn, Stephen Dorff, and his friend Terry decide to explore a hole left by the tree removal service in the backyard. When an unexplained phenomenon began occurring, Terry, with the help of his extensive heavy metal music collection, comes to the conclusion that he and Glenn have accidentally opened a gate to hell. Mm. (laughs) So it's got some 80s things. Sure. It's got the best friend. It's got the kid as the star. Yeah. They did that a lot in the 80s. Who became a star later as an adult. That's a very 80s thing. (laughs) A best friend who's into metal. With his jean jacket and his metal (laughs) records, totally an 80s thing. And the gates to hell being opened up and the answers being in the music backwards and stuff like that. Like there's got all that 80s is going on. This is a really fun watch. I mean, if you like 80s stuff, this is a fun watch. It's got the kids. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was very poltergeisty. You Mm -hmm. know, it was like all that stuff. It's just like it's right. I would put it on any list with those movies from that time. So that was a lot of fun. It's a classic. And then speaking of gates, I also watched The Ninth Gate. That's what I thought you first you were going to say and that yeah. is a great i love that film. i like that one too now it's definitely not the one that got in any way like critical acclaim <laughs> mm-hmm. 1999 it's a thriller drama it's sci it's kind of got that sci-fi vibes to it it's over two hours long two hours and 13 minutes and in 1999 that was not a thing that you did a lot from what i know for thriller dramas they were much tighter at the time but this is a johnny depp movie so dean corso specializes in tracking down rare and exotic volumes for collectors and so that's a that's a trope in horror movies too right the book the books that are possessed i I also forget this is a polanski film yeah Mm -hmm. exactly boris balkan played by frank langella langella yeah i love him i know he's so good in this too has recently acquired a 17th century satanic text called the nine gates a legendary book written by Satan himself. With the nine gates in his possession, Corso soon finds himself at the center of strange and violent goings-on. Now only his in his apartment has been ransacked. It appears that he's being shadowed by others determined to regain the book. And this is directed by Roman Polanski. It's got Johnny Depp and Lena Olin and Frank Langella, James Russo. It's a, a wonderful cast. It's a great cast. It's The movie is too long. We've already established that. It's Polanski. Two hours and 15 <laughs> minutes. Very masturbatory. As you Was, might wasn't imagine. Rosemary's Baby super long too? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the first chunk of the movie, you're like, yeah, this is definitely Polanski. <laughs> like you just, the shot choices, yeah. the way he shoots Depp, the way he introduces characters is just like you know directors have a style and you can tell the styles there once it gets going and stuff you're not as aware of that anymore and i do like this movie and the ending is ridiculous like polanski endings are and you know apparently polanski needs to make movies about satan so (laughs) totally so this is another satan movie yes it is and then that's also not funny considering the cult that his wife died to it's very it's very meta if you watch cursed films i know and he made this movie after that so Mm -hmm. i mean if you go towards the psychological yeah the man was working out some stuff yeah for sure but I recommend that movie and the gate, both of the gate movies. Yep. I found enjoyable. Good choices. I'm Thank proud of you, you Shannon. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> she always is happy when I go old. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So now <laughs> we need answers, my friend. All right. I'll give you some. Okay. And remember, there's one in here that's a patron. Okay. All right. Number one. For what reason did children's author Hans Christian Andersen used to keep a note on his bedside table while he slept that read, I only appear to be dead. Gosh, I really don't know. He was so... I wish I did. He (laughs) was so scared of being buried alive. Oh. He was terrified. That was like a massive phobia for him. Oh, no. Isn't that crazy? so sad. I know. Number two. In what classic horror film did this famous line appear? This is no dream. This is really happening. The Omen. It's actually Rosemary's Baby. Cool. Number three. Although it could fit The Omen, though, too, with all the crap. Mm. Uh, the catfish is the animal with the most teeth <laughs> in the world. How many pearly whites does a catfish have? 222. 
9,280. What? Wow. And they're considered bottom feeders. I mean. Well, you'd have to be. Nine. I mean, that's pretty primitive. Number four. That's really awful. Isn't that crazy? 9,000 teeth. Well, they have those layers. Yeah. The like rows. On top of, on top of, on top. Rows of teeth. Imagine how fast you get through corn on the cob with that. (laughs) Okay. All right. How long would someone live in space without a suit? And I mean a space suit, not like a three-piece suit. <laughs> you do? In, in case you didn't know. In case know. I wasn't like onto that. How, how long would they live in space with a suit on, like floating around? No, without. Oh, without a suit yes. floating around. Oh, not long. I don't know, 12 minutes or something? 15 seconds. Okay. Yeah, and then you like lose consciousness and then yeah i mean that's the way it's always portrayed in the movies i didn't know if that was real or not they always just kind of portray it as like the person passes out isn't it crazy to think though like those guys go out there those men and women go out there in those suits and it's like without that just how fast they're like i mean that's well it's like you're at the bottom of the ocean space just terrifies me you don't have your suit on anymore you would die pretty quickly it's terrifying yeah Number five, Gregory Peck and writer David Seltzer were both plagued by an incident while film by, by an incident while filming The Omen. Which one of these incidents happened to both? Um, plane struck by lightning, bitten by a dog, or homes caught on fire? Uh, their homes were caught on fire. Planes struck by lightning. Wow! All right, which one of those was a patron, and wh- who who was it? Gosh. Really, just could be anything. I have no idea. It's a total guess. Um, number two, it's number one. Okay. Now that I've narrowed that down, means nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Holden, blue. Oh, blue. Okay, cool. She's like, I have a question. Can I give it to you? I said yes. <laughs> I'm super glad that you're g- g- that they're getting in the game because mm-hmm. I love that. I love getting, I mean, I'm sure if I were you, I would love getting like a different. Yeah. Cause it's like, you're always going to look up. Yeah. You're going to look up. And so when other people do it and I, and a different thing, what I'll try to do too, is if it's a patron, then I try to find a mixture of questions. So you have no idea. Like, yeah, I try no, to, I'm yeah. never going to be able to guess. Yeah. So you there it is. It, you make it impossible. Yeah. You're welcome. All right. <laughs> Thank you everyone for listening to our show we appreciate you please go back next week and catch our newest show this has been an episode of terror talk my name is shannon and i'm kathy sleep safe everyone